Amen. Let me read from, uh, actually I'll read from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26, and I'm sure you'll recognize it. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, and I'll start actually in the middle of verse 23. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Father, we ask you to open this word uh, to our understanding. And we thank you, Father. Uh, from our vantage point, we can see so much uh, better uh, how clearly this points to your Son. And we ask you now to bless uh, this word to our hearing and to the glory of your kingdom. In his name, amen. You may be seated. Of course you recognize that. Uh, we say it every week because here we practice communion every week, and so those words will be spoken later here by Pastor Kaiser. And uh, yet, I've been studying the covenant the last few weeks, and nearly everything that I've read at one point or another references what Christ said here. Uh, and, and if to put it in context, he's in the upper room. They're celebrating the Passover, and this is at the culmination of the meal. This is what he does. And so these words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and the scenario that it comes from is played out in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Slightly different wording. In Matthew, we read, this is my blood for the new covenant. In Mark, we read, this is my blood of the new covenant. But then in Luke, we have the identical words as are referenced here by, by Paul. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so the verse for this is actually Luke 22.20. That's the reference. It's pulled exactly from there. And so Jesus refers to his blood as the new covenant. And so I want to talk about both of those phrases. I want to talk about Jesus talking about his blood and this concept of the new covenant. So first, let's start with the latter. The term, the phrase, now covenant appears a lot in scripture, but qualified by the term new. It only appears 11 times. 10 times in the New Testament. I gave you three. We see one here in Corinthians. There are two more in Corinthians and there are four in Hebrews. So in the New Testament, it's referred to 10 times. Only once in the Old Testament. Now Jesus, of course, had no New Testament, right? And so his Bible then would have been the reference to which he's referring. And it's referred to once. And so let's read that. And I'll turn to Jeremiah 3131. In 3131, we read this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And so God promises a new covenant. Now, Jeremiah, if you remember, he is living at the time of the demise of the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has already been taken into captivity 
probably 80 to 100 years ago. And now he's living at the time when Judah is about to be taken into captivity. And he actually writes this after many have been taken into Babylon. He's actually writing this letter to elders and leaders of uh, Israel who are in Babylon, who have been deported. So now he is saying, he's pointing to something that's going to happen in the future. There's going to be this new covenant. Now, Jesus stands here in the upper room and he uses that very phrase to proclaim the fact that it's here. This is the day. So this is the day that Jeremiah prophesied of 600 plus years earlier. If you remember, Jesus had done something similar when he was asked to speak in the synagogue. He rotated the scroll to well up into Isaiah 60s and then he, he read from it and he paused mid-sentence and then he sat down and he said, this day this is fulfilled in your hearing. And it shows you how sometimes difficult it was to perceive what God was bringing to pass in our time through the prophecies that were just veiled in the Old Testament. We really have to have sympathy for these poor scribes that were trying to figure this all out without computers that we now have at our leisure to explore the text much more fully. They had to have it in their head and then they don't even have books. They have scrolls that they're having to scroll through in order to get to various portions of text they want to reference. But let me go on. What does this mean, this new covenant? And we see the answer in Jeremiah's chapter 31, the next two verses, and they're this. Well, let me read 31 again. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So what Jesus is proclaiming in the upper room at this first Lord's Supper and the last Passover from his perspective and from ours, because he is the one that ended the Old Testament era and introduced the new, he is saying, out with the old, in with the new. And yet, what does he refer to? He refers to his blood. And so that's the next thing I want to talk about. The new covenant is in Christ's blood. The new covenant as we celebrate it, though, is bloodless. So when we eat this bread and drink this wine, we are availing ourselves of something that hasn't had to die to accomplish this. Grapes and bread. They didn't die. No animal died to give us this stuff. Now, even this whole realm and time of animal sacrifice, though, was just pointing to Christ. And as Phil so well alluded to earlier, even in the Old Testament was evidence of the fact that that animal sacrifice was inadequate to save. It was not cleansing these people's souls of sin. And let me give you some evidence of that. Let me turn to Hosea chapter 6. And I'll read verses 1 and 2 and then verse 6. Hosea 6, Come, and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. 
that we may live in his sight. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So right there in Hosea, who was prophesying at the demise of the northern kingdom, is the truth. Animal sacrifice does not save. And he's just telling it very, very bluntly to these people. And yet they resist that simple truth because they have such confidence in all of this outward ceremony that they have. And why do they have confidence in that? Because they lack the confidence in their own hearts, in their own experience, in their own sinful actions. They lack confidence that they're gods. And so they seek it in what it is that they're doing outwardly to conform to this ceremonial law. Another one is Micah. And, uh, you know, I already had this chosen when Phil told me yesterday that a police officer he met with yet had this tattooed on his wrist. And it is Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? So see, again, Micah clearly illustrates that animal sacrifice does not save. What, though, God accepts in, instead of that. Now, God wanted the animal sacrifice. It was, it was his by design, and we'll get to that in a minute. But what he wanted is the same thing he wants from us, even though we live at this time. What God wants from you is the same as what he wanted from Adam and Eve and both of their children. He wants obedience. He wants love. He wants you to honor the relationship that he's created for you to enjoy. That's what he wants. It's very simple. There is this outward action, though, that God has uh, instituted in society to placate his wrath with us. And right there in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned And the very first thing you see is that God is providing them clothing from the hide of a dead animal. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Animal sacrifice had at that time been instituted. God probably instructed Adam in how to sacrifice animals. Because you you see it later with Noah, but you know that it existed before that. And so animal sacrifice did not begin with Moses. It began with Adam. And it went all the way up until the day that Christ is standing in the upper room. And this is where he ended it. And he ended it with his own blood. So see, the Jews held on to the externals of their religion, just as modern Christianity has done to many degrees. Modern Christians have eviscerated Christianity. I don't even know why they call it Christianity. We were first called Christians in Antioch, right? Following Christ. And yet the modern Christian church is uncomfortable with proclaiming the name of Christ. The very essence of Christianity is Christ. And yet it's like a big tree that's dead inside because there's no life flowing to it because they've wanted nothing to do with this Christ. So Adam's death resulted in the condemnation of all mankind. And yet 
as Christ stood there that day in the upper room, he was declaring an end to the old covenant. The covenant whose testator was that dead Adam. Adam bequeathed to us sin with his death. Christ, by contrast, bequeathed to us his righteousness by his death. And so you see why we have the Old and the New Testaments. It's the, it's the richness that each of these federal heads gave us. The one death and the other life. And so when we come to the table every week, we celebrate a bloodless ceremony because the last thing Jesus wanted to hear about blood was that day in the upper room. That's it. No more. He dealt with it on our behalf. And so we praise him for that. And now let me go to the prayer supplication because I skipped it to do this first. And Father, we do praise and thank you for your goodness. Uh, what you had uh, wrought in eternity past in, in your mind and in the uh, unity and the, the selflessness of the Godhead, uh, you have brought to pass on this earth. And Father, it is still in work you are still sending forth uh, your church to uh, rule and overrule in the issues of this world. And Father, you do not do that and send us out alone. You send us by the power of your spirit, with the authority of your son, and with the tool of your word. And we thank you for this. Father, it is our prayer, it is our request, that you glorify yourself by what you are doing. And Father, we are nothing in light of eternity. You are everything, and yet you have made us something. You have made us your body, your church, to accomplish your will on this earth. And so we pray, Father, for all of the many missionaries who are devoted to that in difficult fields, uh, people that face such things as we're facing here today or the potential for it, uh, all their lives, every day of their lives, they live in the midst of a culture that is hostile to all that they have to say. And so we pray, Father, that you would strengthen them, that you would grant them a resolve to uh, fight this warfare with the spiritual tools that you've given, not the tools of this world, not the wicked power religion that people are attempting to exploit even here on this campus. Father, we cast ourselves into your camp. We rely solely upon your word. And we pray, Father, that you would equip us, especially equip us with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Uh, guide us as we speak to people. Uh, we pray, Lord, that your word would flood our minds when the words are appropriate to do so. Uh, that you would grant us the ability to answer with a word in due season when called upon to do so. Uh, we pray, Father, also uh, for the uh, Duff family as they're down in Houston and uh, uh, serving Peter Allison and his church. We pray for the success of that church plant, Lord. Pray that you would have the end of uh, any type of uh, disruptions that are occurring in that church uh, relative to uh, people undermining the authority of the sole pastor there. Uh, we pray that, that Gary would be a blessing to them this day and their service would go smoothly. Uh, we thank you too, Father, and we thank you for the peace that we are now enjoying. Uh, we thank you for the, uh, the service of the uh, local uh, police and the UN uh, security. And we pray, Father, for the protesters. Uh, we pray for their souls. Uh, we ask you, Lord, to grant them uh, an awareness of sin, an awareness of righteousness, and a desire uh, to please you above all uh, things on this world, that they not to want to attempt 
uh, to accomplish their earthly goals apart from the way that you uh, command us to do so in your word. And so we pray first and foremost, Lord, for their salvation, uh, that they would humble themselves, admit their need of you, as we ask of all men. And we pray, Father, too, for uh, the man that was uh, uh, pulled out of Mormonism by Mike Elliott just a couple days ago. He's been ministering to this young man for months, and the man has given his life to Christ uh, without this works righteousness that Mormonism offers. Uh, We thank you, Father, that it was the power of your grace at work in his heart. And so we thank you for having redeemed this young man. And we pray that he would be a blessing to Mike and his ministry, uh, that together they would be able to do many things, uh, many wonderful things in the Provo area. Uh, Be with us now, Father. We thank you for this uh, covenant meal. Uh, We thank you for the fact that it nourishes us, body and soul. And more importantly, it reminds us of who you are, of what you have done, and how closely you have drawn us to yourself and done away with that obstacle of sin that had hindered. And it's in Christ's name we give you thanks and praise. Amen.